Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you very, very much for joining today. Before I begin to teach, I want to take the opportunity to acknowledge our anonymous sponsor, who has dedicated today's class as our Kurosatev, an expression of gratitude and thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want to acknowledge last week's sponsors and the sponsors that are coming. Your assistance, your help makes all of this possible and we are grateful for it. And surely the schus, the merit of Talmud Tere de Rabim, of many, many people, really all around the world, learning Torah, stands in your stead to bring bracha for you and for your loved ones. And so with no further ado, we continue now with episode number five in the study of Shara B'tochen. Today's lesson has been entitled Fringe Benefits. Let's take it from the top. So, in this, in this series, we began to learn, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar himself, the author, introduces the fourth gate, the gate of trust, as necessarily following the previous gate, Shar Avedas Olekim, the gate that talks about the service, the devotions to Almighty God. He says that the reason he placed Shar Habatachon immediately after the gate of trust shows up right here because having trust in Hashem is paramount of overriding importance if one wishes to be a true servant of God. In the first episodes, we talked about the necessity, how it is that through our faith we can overcome our fear. We talked about steps of faith, the fact that this represents the fulfillment of multiple mitzvahs and the notion of our attachment, our connection to God that is nurtured and cultivated by virtue of our betochen, of our faithful trust in Hashem. Fulfilling both individual mitzvahs as well as all-encompassing mitzvahs. In short, having betochen is actually obligatory from a Torah perspective. You'd think Rabbeinu Bahaya would leave it there. So what is it? In the words of Rabbeinu Bahaya as they are rendered into Hebrew by the translator of Shara B'tochen. Rabbeinu Yehuda Ibn Tibin, he says, that which is needed more than anything else. To the one who will serve Hashem. As the Rambam's son, Rabbeinu Avram, as we mentioned in a previous episode, speaks about in Hamaspik, La'ev de Hashem, that it's in fact a foundation of the Torah, and we don't find anybody who argues against its necessity. What is it? V'hu, and this is, in the words of the Shara B'tochen, Habitachon alav, the trust or reliance on Him, God, Bechol Devarov. In all of your affairs, or all of your things. The Marpel Nefesh, in his commentary on this work, says, Bechol Devarov, in all of your affairs, he says, Bechol Inyanov, in all the things, all of your endeavors. Interestingly, the Toiv Halavonin takes it further. He says, not only Bechol Inyanov, Bechol Inyanov, Be'ilom Hazeh. We speak here about your earthly or terrestrial affairs. So in all of your affairs, you must be filled with trust. You must rely on Hashem. Okay, so we know it's obligatory. The Torah mandates that we trust in Hashem in all of our affairs. Well, now let's learn about how to do this. Not so fast. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, Ba'avur, because, in other words, he's making the case, you should work at cultivating and developing this sense of trust. Because there's many benefits, fringe benefits. 
literally, in the notion of Torah and in the notion of world or worldliness. The Marpel and Nefesh says, In the trust that we place in Hashem, there are tremendous benefits. Firstly, in the notion of Torah, which means, what the author meant to say here was, If a person wishes to behave in consonance with and to walk in the pathway of Torah, and to behave in a manner of piety, chasidus, at its very organic and essential level, means to go beyond the call of duty, not simply to be quote-unquote orthodox in one's observance, fulfilling all of one's requirements, but rather that it be an act of love, an act of commitment, an act of patriotism, if you will. I don't pay my taxes because I have to pay my taxes. I pay my taxes because I love my country, <laughs> said perhaps nobody I know. But one can say, I fulfill the mitzvahs because I feel I'm obligated to fulfill the mitzvahs. Or a chassid can say, I fulfill the mitzvahs because, because I want to go to do anything I possibly can to develop this relationship with Hashem. But you're not required. That's fine. I'm not looking to satisfy requirements. I'm looking to go beyond the call of duty, which is the essence of Hasidus. There was a famous bookseller in the city of Montreal. Many Montrealers will know the name Ruddles. Mr. Ruddles Sr. was not a Lubavitcher Hasid. In fact, to the best of my knowledge, he wasn't a Hasid at all. But he elected to send his children to the Lubavitcher Shiva, and they became great Hasidim. In fact, there are shluchim of the Rebbe across the world today, descended from this man. So somebody said, Mr. Ruddle, what motivated you to send your children to the Lubavitch Yeshiva, to the Hasidim? And he said, I'll tell you, I had this Hebrew bookstore. Some people would come in and they said, oh, my son's having a bar mitzvah. Or I bought a new home. I need a tefillin. I need a pair of tefillin or a mezuzah. And I'd say, okay, this is, uh, this is the cost. This is what a pair of tefillin will cost you, or this is what a mezuzah will cost you. And he said, most people would say, uh, anything cheaper? Can you do better? Is that, is that the most cost-effective you have? And some people, he said, would say, you have anything more expensive? Anything of higher quality? And he said, I started taking note of this. And I realized the common denominator was people who were observant were looking to satisfy the bare minimum, the requirement. But the Hasidim always wanted to go beyond the requirement. He said, I decided, I wanted my children to be like that. So I sent them. I sent them off to the Lubavitch Yeshiva. The point, of course, that I make, with no offense intended to anybody, and there are many Hasidim who strive to go beyond the call of duty. I'm not suggesting parochially that only Lubavitch or Hasidim go beyond the call of duty, but the notion of Hasidus, as the Marpel and Nefesh refers to it here, there's Lelech B'derech HaTorah, there is the walking in the pathway of Torah, and that means to fulfill one's obligations, what is mandatory, or if somebody seeks beyond to behave, to accustom oneself in a manner of Hasidus. So, whatever realm or level of devotion or commitment you seek in your Yiddishkeit, but if it's a life of Torah fulfillment, a life of spiritual focus, a life of divine service you seek, it will be easier for you. If you trust in God, it'll be easier. And then he says, if it's materialism, or worldly pleasures, successment or achievement that you seek, he says, okay, it'll also be easier for you. And the Marpe Nefesh says, it'll be easier, it'll be easier for you to reach whatever level of success you're looking for. As a result of your trust in Hashem. That's the way the Marpe Nefesh puts it. The truth is, 
The Marple and Nefesh on a very literal level is translating the word Olam as it sounds. Usually Olam is worldliness and the, world, the word has a common root with the notion of Helem, concealment. Because our world, by definition, is a reality, a realm of existence in which the presence of the Creator is entirely concealed. That's the definition of Olam, broadly speaking, and especially of Olam Hazeh, of our world. In order for a world or an existence, an awareness to exist, it has to be somewhat separated from the Creator. In order for sunlight to be identified as sunlight or rays of the sun, it has to be outside of the sun. For within the ball of fire called the sun, there are surely rays, but they can't be identified. The darker it gets, the more the light of the candle lit in broad daylight suddenly becomes apparent. You had a candle burning at midday and nobody even noticed it had any light. They could barely see the candle itself. But a funny thing happened. As the sun began to set and the sky began to darkle, suddenly a glow was detected and that glow increased with intensity when the other light was gone. Precisely my Watson. That's the nature of Olam. The darker it gets, the brighter that glow seems. The brightest or strongest it seems is when there is no other light at all. In the absence of the Creator, a world can flourish. A world can feel mighty, even almighty. That's why a lot of people choose to view life here. In this reality, the world that God built designed and executed to allow for atheism. Because when we choose to do what's right, in a world that doesn't necessarily endorse or embrace that idea or value, it becomes ever so much more meaningful. So, if it's worldliness you pursue, says Marpil and Efesh, knock yourself out. You can succeed even more so if you'll have betachen. The commentary known as Toiv Halavonen, I think, was very much bothered by this. Why would Rabbeinu Bachaya encourage somebody to pursue worldliness? Yes, true, there might be somebody like that, and Rabbeinu Bachaya might have wanted to get through to him and say, you know, even if it isn't Avedis Hashem, service of God that's paramount in your view, and even if you are motivated by material pursuit, Betochen is still something you shouldn't leave behind because it has many benefits. But at the same time, why would Rabbeinu Bachaya encourage that? The Toivalavonen suggests that the Inyan Ha'olam, the world, ah, that refers to Olam Haba, the world to come. That is to say, the world or place, existence, of, or consciousness of where neshamot, of souls, go on after they finish their terrestrial journey. It's beneficial for you in that world if you had trust in this world. Now, I have to tell you, if I may, on a personal level, when I learned this, I was so disoriented and confused. Whoever heard of one of the great Rishonim telling you how to fulfill a mitzvah, but before telling you how to fulfill or perform this mitzvah, he says, let me tell you why you should do it. Well, you really need this. And it's got lots of fringe benefits. Really? That's the introduction to the mitzvah? I mean, I understand that Rabbeinu Bachaya is God's salesman. He's trying to sell you and me on betachen. But did he have to stoop so low? Did he have to promise fringe benefits to catch our attention? And if it's important for him to emphasize, do this even if you aren't motivated by a higher calling, because you'll benefit. Well then, he might have added that at the end. I found this very, very strange. Rabbeinu <laughs> Bachaya, this great, incredible Rishon, speaking to us from across the centuries, says that you have to trust Hashem ba'avur because she yesh bo min ha'aliyot because it's 
beneficial? What? Oh, Teva Levanan says, not just beneficial, but olam. We're not talking about material pursuit. It's beneficial in the world to come. I should think so. Anything which is Yiddishkeit-oriented, performed under the duress and darkness of our world, is going to be beneficial in the world to come. That's what the world to come, so to speak, is made of. It's comprised of the efforts we expended during the course of our terrestrial lifetime. The Torah you learn now is the Torah you learn later. The mitzvahs you perform now are creating the reality of the world you will inhabit. It's a given. It goes without saying that if this is chovat halavavot, if this is an obligation of heart, as Rabbeinu Bachaya waxed on in his opening, his introduction to the entire book, that these are necessary, obligatory parts of a Yiddishkeit. And he spelled out bitochon as a continuous mitzvah, like faith, like love of Hashem, like awe of Hashem. Of course it's going to be beneficial in the other world. Why do you even have to say that? This really bothered me. I poured over this and I tried to understand what in heaven, what in heaven was Rebbeinu Bechaya saying? What I'm going to share with you now is my own solution. I may be wrong. I always endeavor. I try my best to give you the sources. I believe in reading the sources. I have this forum. I read you in Hebrew. I'll read it to you. I'll translate it. You can go back and check the sources. And as a rule, I try not to give you original teachings because why should you be bothered with my personal ideas? It's not about me. It's about me as a vehicle to bring you Torah truth. But I think, I think that this is the way in which we must understand Rabbeinu Bachai's words I dare say, this is what Rabbeinu B'chayah was addressing, although I'm not sure of it. So, with that preface, that what I'm about to share with you is somewhat, a little bit original, the actual content isn't. I'm just kind of sewing it together and presenting it or framing it in a particular way, and I hope it helps you as it helped me. So let's step back for a moment. I thought to myself... There must be a, a reason Rabbeinu Bechaya has to make the case for betochen. There must be something about betochen that is like dubious. People say, really? I should be trusting in God? Trusting in God means no worries, no anxiety. How could you have worries or anxiety if you're fully relying on someone to take care of it for you? People are worried when they have to carry out a particular task. And then they hire an executive director, a planner. And then they're calm. So, phew, now it's not my problem anymore. Now somebody else can do the worrying. I don't have to be concerned. <laughs> Here's a silly story. Many years ago, I attended a lecture at another show. And this was just in the beginning when the original show was first built. And I was a one-man band doing everything myself. If the air conditioner would go off, I'd have to figure it out. And I'm sitting in this other show, and it was a fair size, it was a big event, and the air conditioner wasn't working, and everybody around me was complaining. And I was just smiling, and I was so happy, and somebody said to me, what are you smiling about? It's really hot in here. I said, because for a change, (laughs) it's not my problem. I don't have to worry about this. Somebody else is trying to figure out how to fix or rectify the circumstances, the issue. My point is, when you rely on somebody else, it lifts the anxiety and the worry from your heart. Nothing to worry about. I'm relying on God. Is that the way we're supposed to go through life? Should I not be concerned with how things go? Because, hey, it's God's problem anyway. That sounds effortless, tranquil, easygoing, peaceful. Is that what the pursuit of Yiddishkeit is supposed to look like? Consider this. The Gemara, the Meseches Megillah, on page Vav, Ahmed Beis, side page, the sixth page, side two, 
pretty close to the top of the page. Records a teaching in the name of the sage, Rabbi Yitzchok. Im yemer if a person would tell you, said Rabbi Yitzchok, Yogaiti, I have toiled, and Rashi says, Betorah, I have toiled, I have tried really hard to understand Torah study. Velomatsasi, I didn't find success. Al Taman, don't believe him. If he toiled, he'll succeed. If he tells you he toiled and he didn't succeed, don't believe him. Loyogati, a person will say, I didn't toil, I didn't work hard. It was a breeze. Umatsasi, and I succeeded. Al Taman, don't believe that. But if a person says, Yogaiti, I worked really hard. Umatsasi, and I found success. Taman, now that's believable. So the Gemara, right away, has to stop and qualify. Vahanimili, when do we say that success is commensurate with effort expended and toil invested? With words of Torah. When it comes to business affairs. That's another story. Some people work very hard and they fail. Some people hardly work at all and they succeed. That's a matter of fact. Effort expended in business is not necessarily always commensurate with success. So the Gemara says indeed that's true. Sayaita hu minshmaya. That person might have been helped from on high. So the Gemara says, And with regard to the study of Torah, the knowledge of Torah, the success in Torah, we don't believe that sometimes somebody is blessed or fortuitous. So the Gemara responds, Ela lechadudi, when it comes to immerse yourself in the jurisprudence to understand the rhyme and the reason and the deeper messaging, the undergird, undergirding ideas, that's something else. Then you really have to, have to work and toil. But to remember something, you know, sometimes you just happen to remember. You didn't work harder than the other fellow, you, you got lucky. Or blessed. Hashem helped you. Anybody who studied Torah has experienced sometimes what we call a, a stroke of special divine design. Well, you remembered something and you, you don't know necessarily or you necessarily know that you didn't toil on this area of Torah more than others or more than anyone else. But for some reason, Hashem smiled at you and you had the good fortune to remember. But with regard to success in understanding the deeper message of Torah, this is entirely in the hands, in the realm of your hard work. So, when you read this, what does that sound like? <laughs> does it sound like you're supposed to study Torah in a relaxed, tranquil, peaceful fashion? Or does it sound like there's supposed to be some angst, some real serious concern? You have to be significantly not only motivated, but you have to push yourself. And you have to expend tremendous effort. Yegiyah means toil in English, and that's an under-translation. So, who says betachen is a good thing? If I'm sure I'm going to understand, yeah, God will put it in my head. If it's supposed to be there, I'll figure it out. It would seem on the surface that that would discourage any kind of toil. Worldly matters. Why should I work hard? Why should I toil? God will take care of it. See out to the Shemaya. It sounds like the notion of betochen would contradict the very ideal of Torah study as our Gemara presents it. Here's something fascinating. The Ksav Sofer, 
the eldest son and successor of the Chatam Sofer, he says that this notion of success not coming by itself, only achieved through tremendous toil, is a gift. L'tovata Adam. Hashem did it for our welfare, for our benefit. And he says, this is along the lines of what the Mishnah says in Mesechet Avot, Lafum Tzara Agra. According to the pain, will be the commensurate gain. You worked hard, you'll benefit. You didn't work hard, you won't. In other words, you have to earn this. V'chol sheyesh la'adam yegiyah yoter, says the Ksav Sofer, if you work harder. Ksav Sofer speaks to us from the mid-18th century. He says, if you work harder, pardon me, that would be um, top of the 19th century. Ad mitzvah. Until you come to do a mitzvah, so now the Kasav Sofer is introducing us not only to the notion of Torah study, but he's expanding this to include mitzvot as well. He says, you work harder, you have a greater reward. According to the pain is the gain. And precisely because according to the pain is the gain, lechafetz Hashem sheyumotze divrei Torah below yegiyah. Hashem didn't want you to succeed without having to work hard. He wanted you to toil. In order to increase your reward, Tiksav Sofer links this to the famous statement, Rabbi Hananya ben Akasha, Rabbi Hananya ben Akasha taught, Rotsa HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Lezakot et Yisrael, God wanted to make Israel meritorious, Lefichach, Hir Bolahem. Therefore, he heaped upon them a great multitude of Torah and mitzvahs, Says the Ksav Sofer, what does it mean, hirba? Meaning it made a lot of mitzvahs. He says the word hirba is not speaking in numbers. It refers not to the quantity, but to the quality and the difficulty attached to the performance of mitzvahs. He says, God placed a heavy load upon our shoulders. And that was laharbot scharam, to increase our reward. That doesn't sound worry-free to me. And I'm saying, well, let's take a look at that Mishnah, which is found at the end of the fifth chapter of Mesechat Avot. It's a teaching from an extraordinary unnamed sage who was a convert. A convert who had to hide his identity because he was afraid of persecution. The teachings of these two converts are Ben Bagbag and Ben Hehe. And there's a all beautiful teaching associated why they had these nom de gurus or these hidden names and how Bagbag is Ben Gedim and Bas Gedim and Hey Hey represents the idea of Avram and Sarah. Avram, I don't want to go into the details now. It's not, that's not relevant to our subject. But Ben Hey Hey follows the teaching of Ben Bagbag. Ben Bagbag extols the virtues of Torah and he says, I've seen it all. I have a master's, I have a PhD, I went to the best schools in the world, I saw all of the wisdom, and then I came to study Torah, and I'm telling you, it's all in there. Ha-fachba, continue to delve into the Torah, keep turning it and turning it to choylaba, everything is in the Torah. And then ben Hei comes and emphasizes and he says, you should know that this idea of continuing to delve into the Torah, to work at trying to uncover the deeper secrets of Torah, you should know lefum tzara agra. According to the pain comes the gain. Says Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon Asfardi the Rambam in his commentary on the Mishnah. Lefi erech. In accordance with the amount of effort you expended on Torah, yes, Charcha will come your reward. And he says this does not only refer to reward, but it actually refers to success in Torah itself. Kind of alluding to what the Kasav Sofer says in Erechaim. And Simon Yudches. He says you must know. Va'amru, our sages said, She'ein miskayem in halimud. If you want to have something left from the Torah you studied, it will not remain with you. 
Ela Mashanilmad Vigia. Whatever you learned with tremendous effort and toil. And then he goes on to say, Limud Hapinuk, luxury learning. You know, people who sit back and they're just enjoying, yeah. Play the movie, I'll watch. That's interesting. Smoke my cigar, I'll chill out, have a martini. Yeah, fascinating, interesting stuff. Hmm, very nice. No, 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 Rambam says, that's not how you learn Torah. If you want to really learn Torah, then you have to, you have to throw yourself into the Torah. Limud hapinuk vahanachat, the learning which is easygoing, relaxed learning. It won't stay with you. It doesn't mean you didn't learn something, but it didn't get burned into your heart, mind, and soul. If you want it to make an indelible mark, if you want it to become a part of who you are, you're going to have to toil at this and work hard. And here Rambam quotes a famous verse which is found in Ecclesiastics, Kohelet Beis, the ninth verse of the second chapter. Af chachmati amdali. My wisdom has stood by me, and the teaching of our sages, Chachmo Shalomadati Ba'af, the Torah which I learned under tremendous pressure and angst. As our sages in the Gemara point out, the Torah that was studied under duress, under persecution, Amdali. That's the Torah that remained with me. I told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again. My Zaydi, my father's father, was a big Talmud Chacham. He never really went to a real yeshiva. When he was a boy, the communists were systematically extinguishing every vestige of Torah Judaism. Very, very few Jews remained observant under the jackboot of communism. My grandfather was born in 1917, and by the time he was a, a boy, the communist revolution was in full swing. By the time he was six or seven years old, the persecution of rabbis and teachers of Torah was intense. There was no yeshiva to send him to when he was 12 years old, with one exception. The Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe, although he had already been arrested, beaten to death's doorstep, and miraculously evaded a death sentence, and then exiled from the country, he kept the embers burning. And until World War II, there was secret yeshivot across the Soviet Union. Maizid didn't come from a Hasidic family, but as his father put it, can Eden velnid bleiben, he said. No other Jews will remain. There's no choice. You will go to a Hasidic yeshiva. And so Maizid went off at the age of 12 to study in the secret underground chadorim, the schools, the yeshiva schools administered long distance by the previous Rebbe, managed by his Hasidim, many of whom paid with their lives. And they moved constantly because the KGB was always on the prowl. They studied at night. They slept during the day. You couldn't get sick because you were an illegal. And the Soviet Union weren't allowed to go from province to province or even city to city without permission. This was a police state. There would be no doctor. I marvel to think of my great-grandparents. How do you send a 12-year-old boy away? There's no communication. You don't even know if you'll ever see your son again. But to my great-grandparents, there was no question. It was either going to be Yiddishkeit and the other option was unthinkable. So this is how Maizedi grows up. In the end, he became a tremendous Torah scholar, barely or narrowly escaping the Nazi onslaught in his city of Kiev. He survives the war in the eastern areas of Kazakhstan. And finally, after World War II, as a refugee, he ends up in Poland in a DP camp. Anyway, fast forward now. About 20 years, it's the late 1960s. And my Zayda, my grandfather, Allah Shalom, who didn't 
practice as a rabbi, but always taught Torah, is giving a class somewhere in the Catskill Mountains. I don't remember where it was. I, I wasn't there. I heard this from my father. And his back was to the door. And one of the famous Litvish Rosh Yeshiva walked into the door. And he listened. And there's a younger man. It's a young man who's teaching. It's in his mid-40s. He's giving a shir mishnayis. And he liked it. He said, this man is a, he's a scholar. He knows what he's talking about. So he waited. And when the shir was over, he went over to Maizadi and he said, Junger man, where is Ayarebe? Under whose tutelage did you study? <laughs> Maizadi was a feisty man. He looked him in the eye. He understood. And he said, Stalin is my Rebbe. Maizadi had no Rosh Hashiva. He didn't study in a famous academy or institution. He studied Torah under fire. The success that he had in his Torah learning came from his Yigiyah, from the Mesirat Nefesh, from the sacrifice that he expended almost by no choice. It was do or die. And he believed that that's where his success in Torah study came from. That's what our sages mean. Maizeda said to him, when he was, the Rosh Hashiva was puzzled. Stalin? Maizeda said, the Torah that I studied under angst. Rabbeinu Bechaya, in his commentary on the Mishnah, says, What will be the reward? What's, what's the gain? The gain, he says? The mitzvah is the gain. The Torah knowledge, that's the gain. And he says, it is said by the great sages. The Sifri HaMusr, he says. The only way Torah remains with you is if you worked at learning that Torah really hard, if you, if you pushed yourself, if you toiled to understand Torah. Sometimes people say to me, Rabbi, it's too much. You're giving too many subjects. It's hard for me to follow. Simplify it. Give us some fluff and make it easy. And I think to myself, Rabbi Shalalam, you have to toil. The nice thing on a recording, you just you, you go back and you listen again. Find a safer and look inside. Work at it. If you don't work at it, you don't succeed. Torah requires effort. It requires toil. That's the key to success. Rabbeinu Bechaya metaphorizes, he says, Hashem and olive oil doesn't come from slightly moving the olives about. It comes when you crush the olives. Ketisha <laughs> Sachimer, when the bulk of the olive is crushed, there's this bulk, there's this physicality, this lethargy, this unwillingness to be bothered as it were, that has to be pulverized. You have to shake yourself up and prepare to transcend the orbit of comfort. And when you do that, then you succeed. says, How did the nation of Israel find itself poised to receive the Torah? It was only until their material existence was literally almost destroyed in the terrible bondage of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. And he says, Then they're worthy of fulfilling the Torah. Let me put this to you in simple words. In simple words, if you're relaxed about things, it would seem, if you're not anxious about things and driven by anxiety, by nerves, by concern, you're not going to succeed. One of the trade secrets for public speakers is that you always should be a little bit nervous. Public speakers are, by and large, people who have conquered the fear of public speaking. 
I think it's natural for most people to have stage fright. People find it hard to believe that I had terrible stage fright. I was terrified to speak publicly as a child. It was an ordeal to lead the services. But I toiled at it and I overcame my stage fright. But when I'm entirely complacent and not the least bit concerned, I find myself less successful, not more. And I've heard this from many, many public speakers, far, far more experienced and far better than me, who say it's always good to be a little bit nervous. It's almost an act of respect for your audience. I take you seriously. I hope that what I'm sharing with you is meaningful for you. I hope it's going to be uplifting and educational. I hope you'll be inspired by it. If not, I failed. So sure, of course I'm going to be nervous about that. How do I know I'll succeed? How do I know I find the right words? How can I be certain my message will come across in a lucid fashion? I'm always a little bit anxious. I'll tell you a little secret. Until I learned these words of Rebbeinu Bachaya, I always thought that trust, security, and complacency go hand in hand. And if somebody would say to me, suppose a person could have no anxiety whatsoever, no concerns whatsoever, would he succeed in life? I would say no. I'd be wrong. But that's what I would think. That's the intuitive approach. The intuitive approach is anxiety breeds toil and toil breeds success. Rabbeinu Bechaya begins first by telling you toyaliyos the benefits even if you're a great believer and you think that worldly matters eh, that'll come to me with regard to toil and Torah how could I be assured of anything how could I be guaranteed of anything if I'm guaranteed or assured I wouldn't work hard you might think the Toiv Halavonan says, Ha'olam is not worldly pursuit. Ha'olam haba. Do you know there's a famous teaching, which is found in many, many sources, that living a life of pleasure, living a life of relaxation and luxury in this world, isn't necessarily the best thing for your soul? The Mishnah says that a person should not indulge or imbibe in any kind of luxury at all. I'm, I'm quoting the Mishnah. Eat bread and salt. Drink a small quantity, whatever quantity of water is necessary. Sleep on the floor and you'll toil in Torah. It's good for you. The mission finishes, it's good for you in this world, it's good for you in the other world. You'll be fortunate in this world, it'll be good for you in the other world. And now we're talking about relaxing, complacency, easygoing. How does this work? It would seem that having full betachen, meaning full confidence and trust, and having no anxieties, would actually not be beneficial. Perhaps I'm fulfilling the requirement of bitachen, but it would come at a tremendous price. My dear friends, I would like to suggest to you, I don't know, I'd like to suggest to you that it is precisely this question that Rabbeinu Bachaya addresses. He was thinking of and talking to me when he wrote these words. And he said to me, and maybe to you, don't make the mistake of thinking that it is the opposite of beneficial. 
you should know that the betochen, trust in Hashem in all of your affairs, is beneficial. It will not subtract from your spiritual pursuit. It will be beneficial. It will be beneficial in Torah. It will be beneficial in worldly matters. Or beneficial in the reality of the world to come. How so? How so? To me, it would seem quite the contrary. By making things too easy, not only have we not benefited, but in fact, it would seem that we've lost. You know, this Mishnah that speaks about the toil and the effort, it applies really to everything about Yiddishkeit, not just the study of Torah. As the Marpel and Nefesh said, in any area of Torah, including the notion of Hasidus. In the famous Hemshech, the Maimorim, a series of Maimorim that were delivered by the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Sholem Dover, in the year 1906 onward, known to Hasidim as Hemshech Tafresh Samachvav, he says, and I quote, Gili ha'oir ho'eleki la ha'adam zoicha ba'avaydus Hashem. A sense of awareness. Awareness of the presence of the Creator, known roughly as revelation. To experience a sense of revelation, to experience a sense of surety. Will you actually you sense godliness. Tuluya bemidas hatsa'ar. He says it has to do with the pain invested. The pain, that you invest in your service, in your effort. And the Rebbe Rashab goes on to give three examples. He says, betfila, prayer, spiritual communion. He says, betshuva, with that sense of yearning the reclamation of our inner rhythm, our innocence, and Torah. Success in understanding and appreciating Hashem's wisdom. Prayer, he says, the Mishnah says clearly, a person cannot prepare himself, literally set themselves up for prayer, with Seriousness, a serious attitude. Vahu That refers to subservience, self-abnegation, hashiflus, a sense of almost unworthiness, profound humility. And he says, you achieve this by feeling embittered by the distance, the gulf between us and the Creator before prayer. And if somebody feels that, and he feels this yearning, he feels this desire to, to somehow break out of the shackling circumstances, the more it bothers you, the more bitter it is to you that you're far from Hashem. Most people couldn't care less if they're far or close to Hashem. They want to know how much money is in their bank account and what's being served for lunch. But assuming that you're really a pious person, what bothers you is not how many likes you got on Facebook or how many friends you have that acclaim your great achievements, not how much you're able to enjoy from the material world or how much power you wield. What bothers you is your distance from Hashem. If, if that bothers you, I'm jealous of you if it does. But if that bothers you, you're a beautiful, pious yid. The further you feel from Hashem and the more that bothers you, you'll experience a profounder level of revelation. When we yearn to reclaim the spiritual innocence that we were born with, oftentimes bludgeoned and beaten into a dark corner because of our sins. Out of the depths, out of, out of the straits, out of the narrow and painful situation, I call out to Hashem and Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. 
כאשר ריחוקים מהשם נגיע למעט בעמק הנפש. Imagine that. Your distance from Hashem will touch you to the core of your soul. When a person weeps bitterly, feeling so, so low, so distant, that will give him the privilege of sensing the illuminating presence of Hashem. Potato. You will not reach, you will not maximize your potential. You may do better than somebody else. They worked hard. They didn't do very well. You hardly worked and you did as well. They are a hero and you are a failure. You ask why? They did the best they could. And that's all Hashem expected of them. But Hashem expects more of you. We're not in a race with anybody else but ourselves. We'll never be compared to anybody else. The benchmark of success that we will have to measure up to is the success, the spiritual success that could and should have been ours. And that only comes if it doesn't bother you that you don't understand, you never will really understand in accordance with how you can. It's only after you're pained, you're worried, you're anxious. Because I'm not able to understand this idea in Torah and it bothers me and it pains me. And I'm experiencing anxiety over it. In this way, you will be able to have an epiphany and apprehend the deepest, profoundest realm of wisdom available to you. Be with a an appreciation of that illuminating moment because of the proverbial darkness you just came out of. And the point, of course, as I said, is it seems that a person has to toil and work really hard. Matsuri Shabbos Kedish Parsas B'Shalach Tovshon Lamates in the fall of 1978, the Rebbe spoke about this Mishnah. And the Rebbe said that the Torah study, of course, has to lead to action. As we know, God el Talmud, the Talmud, discusses what is greater, the study of Torah, the performance of mitzvahs, and the conclusion that the study is greater because it's mevili de maisa. And we know that am you can't be pious without knowledge and education. So the Mishnah comes along and says, that's the Mishnah, the teaching of Ben Bagbag. And then after we are told, the first part of the Mishnah speaks primarily about the study of Torah. The second part of the Mishnah speaks primarily not about Torah, the Rebbe said, but about success in mitzvah performance. In other words, all of Yiddishkeit seems to require a good deal of concern, anxiety, worry, and really, really hard work. How does that fit with the tranquil, complacent, trusting reality of Betochen? It's a good question. I think Rabbeinu Bachaya is coming to answer precisely that. So what are the Tayaliyas? What is the benefit? Says Rabbeinu Bachaya, the Tayaliyasav and its benefits, by B'Tayrasay, Let's talk about Torah. Let's talk about Yiddishkeit. That requires toil and effort, as we just learned. Mayhem, amongst the benefits, menuchas nafshe, tranquility of the soul, peace of mind. trusting Hashem. Bitchoinai, says the Ne'edar Bakoidish, yazav alalakov. Don't worry about it. Leave it in God's hands. Don't worry about things. Kimoi, just like, like a servant 
is required to leave things in the hands of his or her master. And I have to tell you, in the New English version here of uh, the Shara B'tochen, they explain this as the benefit of B'tochen with regards to religious life is a state of tranquility, which allows us to dedicate ourselves to the service of God. Okay. The author explains with the parable of a servant who must rely on his master to take care of all his needs and is only concerned with his responsibility to his master. In a similar vein, as servants of God, we trust that God will take care of our needs and we therefore only concern ourselves with fulfilling our duties towards him. It's very nice. I don't think that's what Abedin Bachaya says, with all due respect to the translator. Why don't I think so? Because even though Rabbi Yehuda ibn Tibbin used whatever poetic licenses he used, this was a great scholar and a disciple of the Rambam. He uses the word chayav. Chayav means obligatory. The, the servant is obligated. The way it's presented here, it's uh, the parable of the servant. Yeah, he must rely on his master. Why must he? A chayav is an obligation. Why is he obligated to? What if the servant decides not to rely on his master? What if he worries if he'll get lunch or not today? What if he has anxieties? He doesn't have to have anxieties. That's the meaning of being a servant. People say, Evid, a slave, it's a terrible thing. Really? So terrible? Look in the Torah. It's not so terrible. He's, his, his owner has many responsibilities towards his welfare, known in the modern vernacular as rights, in Torah framed as responsibilities. He has to be fed on time and he has to be given the same exact food that his master himself eats. He has to sleep in, the, in comfort as does the master. He has job security. He has nothing to worry about. It's not chayav. It's a matter of fact. The servant has no worries. What, what's his worries? He's just got to do his job. But the servant is worried. So he's a fool. What are you worried for? Who asked you to worry? What if this company is not going to succeed? This is your business. You're getting paid. The person who is an employee is maybe worried. He's going to get to lose his job. You're a servant. No matter what happens, you'll be taken care of. The master's responsible for you. What's the chayav? The word chayav, the word obligation, bothers me very much here. It bothered me. And the commentary here is entirely unsatisfactory. I think it's not accurate. It would say, if they were right, as a servant is certain. The notion of being a servant is he's got great job security. Doesn't worry. His needs will be taken care of. He just has a job to do. So do your job. He says, a servant is obligated. I don't think it means simply to invoke the parable of a servant. I think that Rabbeinu Bechaya is instructing you in your Avedis Hashem. The servant is not necessarily referring to a particular kind of servant. It means somebody who takes orders. Whether you're working on the construction site and the super says you do A, B, or C, whether you're a soldier in the battlefield and you've got a command to do A, B, and C. Whether you're in hospitality and the maitre d' told you to do A, B, and C. The point is that if you are taking orders, you're obligated to take those orders and not to question them. Because if everybody on the bottom will question the orders they receive, we'll have chaos. There's somebody on top who thought this through who knows what each person is doing, you don't, because you're only given a specific task. And the one who's responsible for all of this, he's thought everything through, and he has made sure that everybody has their task to do. The worst thing possible is if the person who receives the orders starts to think, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe, maybe it's not right. You're obligated to rely on the orders. And what happens in the end if the wrong orders were given? i got to follow the orders. 
<laughs> I learned the hard way that whatever's going to be in the blueprints, that's exactly what they're going to do. And the blueprints are going to be down to the little tiniest details. But the actual construction workers will follow those plans down to the last inch, down to the last millimeter. And sometimes if something goes wrong in the plans, you can't blame the construction worker. He says, what did you make that little corner for? But the plan showed. That's what he has to do. He has to assume that the orders he's getting are right. Because if everybody who's pouring cement or sawing is going to start to measure by himself, we'll have chaos. And nothing will be done right. In other words, Abena Bahai is telling us something very, very powerful. He doesn't say not to war, to toil. He says, don't have anxiety about worldly matters. Habitochen alov bechold varav. Everybody said the betochen is not that I'll succeed in Torah. No guarantees on that. The betochen is bechol inyanov be'olam hazeh, as the Teva Levanan said. But how will I make a living? And how will things work out for me? Now your job is to study Torah. And therefore you must devote yourself to the study of Torah a thousand percent with nothing else on your mind. That is beneficial. It's beneficial not because you're complacent about your Torah study. It's beneficial because you're able to devote yourself to your Torah study. Because you're able to have that kind of healthy anxiety. Because you're able to be concerned. Am I working hard enough? You're able to be bothered. That's not an unhealthy, destructive kind of anxiety. That's positive. That's called motivation. That's called toil. That's called effort. Betachen doesn't touch it. It doesn't take that away. Chas v'shalom. That's a good thing. Betachen takes away the unnecessary anxieties. Here's a beautiful story told with the first Rebbe, the leader of the Ger Hasidim. It's called the Chadush Arim. His name was Yitzchak Meir. And this Yitzchak Meir Alter was a brilliant, brilliant scholar. Brilliant scholar. And he married well, as was often the case in those days with brilliant young people. And his, his future was secure. Father-in-law was a very successful, wealthy person who appreciated the sterling quality of his new son-in-law. Wonderful wife. Sensitive, wise, intuitive. And he didn't have to worry about Parnassa. Life is beautiful. Unfortunately for young Yitzchak Meir, in the first few weeks after his marriage, everything started turning south. His father-in-law suffered a setback, and then another setback, and then another setback, and then a health setback. And then his health deteriorated further. And the business got worse. And tragedy struck, and the father-in-law died. And the business was bleeding on all sides and everybody was consumed with worry and anxiety. Everybody except young Yitzchak Meir. He's perfectly calm and complacent. Studying with the same diligence. Devoting himself assiduously to prayer and Torah study. Not exhibiting any concern or worry. And his wife began to worry that maybe her husband isn't, isn't normal. He doesn't get it. And so she sat down with him and said, you know, it's your mayor. Things are not good. And he said, yeah, I know. She said, no, 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 they're, they're really bad. We don't, we don't know if we'll have a roof over our heads next month. And he said, yeah, I know. And she said, but you're not worried. You're going about your, your Torah study, your Avedus Hashim, you're not worried. And he said, um, you know, I'm a genius. She said, yeah, everybody knows that, but what does that have to do with our situation? She says, he says, a genius is a person who could do things very quickly. So she says, okay. So he said, so I worried quickly. I finished worrying, I went back to learning in Dalani. 
She said, it's mayor, that's ridiculous. What did it help when you worried quickly? To which she responded, and you who was worried for days and weeks, what did that help? <laughs> but that requires tremendous betochen. Not to worry. To be able to devote oneself to Torah study. To be in a situation of persecution. To be in a situation of angst. As the Jews were in the 1930s in the Soviet Union, seeing no way out ever. And yet, to devote yourself to Torah study, to be able to transcend those worries and to focus on doing the right thing because I trust in Hashem, that is extraordinary. And so the Bein clarifies for you. He says it's beneficial because the betochen is bechol dvorov. The Toiv Halavonan emphasizes Bechol Dvarov means Be'olam Hazeh. It doesn't mean you don't worry about success in Torah study. It means you don't worry about worldly matters. That, that you leave in Hashem's hands. That's going to be fantastic. Your job is to study Torah. Dedicate yourself to Yiddishkeit with toil and effort. And of course, you might be thinking, wondering aloud but how do you know everything's going to be good how indeed can a person just study Torah and not worry how will it help to rid yourself of all of that anxiety that's a good question it's a question that we will address Be'ezrat Hashem in the coming episode and the episodes that follow as we continue to move away through the incredible journey of Betochen. This amazing, amazing path set out by the great Rabbeinu Bechaya to know that we are chayav, obligated to trust and to be secure and sure that our Odin, that our Master, will indeed provide for us Thank you so much for joining today. I hope and I pray that Amir Hashem, out of our betochen, out of our security, out of our certainty, that good things will come our way. And as such, we devote ourselves to Torah, to spiritual pursuit, that we will together merit the most wonderful of things. The coming of Mashiach in our time, Bimheira, will be Amenu, Amen. Thank you so much for joining today.